0: This is Auto Line this week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Auto Line this week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. Hi, I'm John McElroy. Welcome to Auto Line this week. Today we're going to be talking about what's going on in Ukraine. You all know about the Russian invasion that's going there and the impact that it's having on the world. It's also having a big impact on the automotive industry. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Joining me are Joe McCabe, the CEO of Auto Forecast Solutions, and Justin Cox. He's the director of global production at LMC Automotive. Great to have the both of you on here right now. Justin, let me start with you. You're based in Europe. That's where the impact is happening first right now. What do you see going on at the moment? What's what's been the impact on the European automotive industry?
1: Well, it's been localized as well as uh, a wider effect. I mean, you've got to remember that Russia itself is uh, quite a big uh country for automotive production it was it's last year It was the second biggest auto producer after germany so um sorry third biggest and 10 years ago it was a, it was the second biggest after germany with the with the view that its market would be quite uh, strong in, in, indeed the expectation was that it it would actually uh beat german uh, market size in in the future so it's it's kind of a sorry story that it's now um, are halved in terms of the expectations, halved in terms of where, where we thought it would be. So Russian, uh, the local immediate impact on Russia has been pretty horrendous. Now, of course, um, it's gone wider than that in Europe. It's gone out towards, uh, uh, to the Ukraine. Auto component industry has been particularly important, and that's had a knock-on effect on, on some of those who uh, uh, have been heavily exposed to sourcing in Ukraine, particularly German
2: OEMs
0: hmm. Joe, you track all kinds of sales and production all over the world. What's been the impact that you've been able to watch so far?
2: We're seeing a similar impact. First of all, John, thank you for having me on here. Uh, we are having basically, as Justin says, the Russian market ever since the 2014 sanctions came in. They really weren't able to really break through that one point six million. But in 2012, they were able to do two billion units a year. So, you know, the issue with Russia we see is that they satisfy a majority, high majority of their production, satisfies their domestic consumer. So when you talk about what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, and you talk about the products they're trying to build and who they're trying to satisfy, and that consumer being a Russian um, a Russian citizen having a ruble that's been decimated, it's always snowballing the effect of what their production is gonna do. as Justin says, we agree, it's, it's spreading across Russia, excuse me, Europe, not just the production side, but also the stranglehold they have on 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 oil, the raw materials they have, and so on. so the ripple effect is just massive.
0: yeah, uh, and we'll get into all of that too, but uh Justin, uh, wow, if Russia at its peak was two million down to about a million six or five or so, how how low can it go?
1: Well, it was it was uh, around two million a few years back and, and then it's last year it was about a million five. So now we're we're looking at it to be below 700,000 with, you know, depending on what goes on. I mean, it, there's so much uncertainty. It could go below that. And we had a, 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 Feb, a March figure for sales. And, and, and as Joe says, it's quite a closed industry and, in, and closed market. What it tends to build, it consumes so that the market there is having an impact, too. Um, So it was a pretty miserable March, but worse than our expectations. So the signs are that it could be even worse than than our expectations of around sort of 650 to 700,000 in terms of production in Russia.
0: Wow, that's a massive drop. Yeah. Joe, who are the automakers that are most affected by this?
2: Uh, Renault nissan is by far the biggest one there. I mean, by a factor of three, uh, or Hyundai and things of that nature. So they're sort of caught in a crack. It's a, The Togliatti plant is a really important plant for them. It's a massive size plant. It's a lot of their production landscape. Uh, the biggest fear we see, though, in Russia is if Putin wants to come in and nationalize the plants for the sake of his economy, What do these manufacturers do for a long-term investment? So Renault said they were in, then they're out, and you're going to see a lot of this sort of shuffling to make sure they can maintain their footprint, yes, at a much reduced level. I think we all can agree to that. Uh, But what their long-term play is, it's really going to be tricky how they play this thing out.
0: Justin, uh, okay, let's say Putin nationalizes all these foreign operations. Can they build cars anyway with uh, being cut off essentially from... Maybe just about everybody except China.
1: Well, it would certainly be very problematic. So a lot of the, the cars and the components are sourced from the western part of Europe, or at least the, sort of the, that part. Um, so it would be very challenging. What you'd expect to see over time is a sort of deterioration of the asset. Um, one thing that, that may happen um, is that you could see uh, a resurgence or at least uh, an increase in in Chinese investment in uh, domestic assets. So there could be a turnaround there and we could see uh, support from from China in the longer run. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Joe, what do you think? Uh, Can can the Chinese make up for lost production or are they going to be afraid of getting slapped with sanctions themselves if they do it?
2: Yeah, on paper. And I, I agree with Justin on paper that says, you know, China being their friend Uh, is a logical solution for coming in, taking over some of the capacity. I'm a little concerned that they want the optics not to be so changing off of them, uh, off of Russia and, and onto them. You know, the next shoe to drop potentially is the whole China and Taiwan conversation. And everyone's sort of saying, well, when is China going to get more influence? When are they going to help their friend out? I think they're trying to keep arm's length away from the situation. If they came in as the shining white knight and they basically said, we're going to take over the capacity, all of a sudden, that, that optics changes and includes China in the same conversation of Russia. I think China wants to stay out of the conversation. I can see that potentially coming in a little bit, but taking over full force and, and production from other Western European manufacturers, I think it's going to be risky for them. They may still do it, but I think the, the risk of the long-term impact of them, it, it could be severe.
0: Justin, what do you think of the impact is going to be on Renault and and Hyundai? Hyundai is, I, I think, the, the second largest, the Hyundai group, Kia and mm-hmm. Hyundai together, second largest uh, auto producer in Russia. Um, others are there, of course, but not with a significant uh, uh, production footprint. What, yeah. what a, What's your analysis of what's going to happen with Renault and Hyundai there?
1: Yeah, I mean... Um, Renault and Nissan have got a big presence, as, as Joe was saying, um, about 40 percent of output last year was was just down to them. So they've got this big investment. So they're well invested in in the region. So it's a significant uh, hit if they walk away. Um, you know, it, we're not completely sure that they will walk away. I mean, we're, again, there's so much uncertainty that, that they're playing a kind of wait and see approach. They were going to en- make an announcement about uh, that their future plan. At uh, the end of last week, that kind of was postponed or delayed. So, you know, maybe this wait-and-see approach will continue until perhaps they see um, uh, reducing of this political pressure, maybe a ceasefire, a troop withdrawal, or, or even a, a regime change, you know, in the future. So that all things could play out. So maybe um, they won't have to decide right now, and it it, it could take some
0: months' uh,
1: breathing space.
0: Joe, your input, uh, Renault-Nissan and, and Hyundai Group, uh looks like they're... Going to have some massive write-offs in their future if things don't get back to normal.
2: Yeah, I I have to agree with you also. It's a wait and see. Every day something new. Every day some news comes out that says maybe the brush is pulling back. Maybe there's some sort of conversation going on. As more sanctions pile on, we're just trying to find the right sanction on Europe because obviously the sanctions aren't really uh, stopping them in their tracks. So I think everyone's playing this wait and see. Automotive's glacial it has a glacial speed to it. We all know that. So we're talking about planning out vehicles that aren't going to start being produced for three years from now. Making that core decision to shut down today, I don't see them doing it. I see them playing on the fence, saying yes, they don't support the actions that Russia's doing it. But we still, as a company, are you know we're a public company we're, we have shareholder value to satisfy. I see some write-offs come in the future. I just don't see wholesale moving out. I see some sort of waffling in the decision. Mm-hmm. Justin, I, I,
0: I have to admit, I never knew that Ukraine uh, produced anything automotive. <laughs> that's one of the things that's come out of this whole war is I become aware there's at least 20 different automotive suppliers there. And it looks yeah. like wiring harnesses are, are the big loss for the European mm-hmm. auto industry right now. Bring us up to speed with what's going on in your, u- Ukraine or had been going on production okay. wise and, and the impact of that getting cut off.
1: Well, I mean, in the Ukraine, you're quite right. I mean, it, it has a sort of c- crucial niche to the automotive supply chain in Europe, building these wiring harnesses, it's very labor intensive and it's got a very low cost base. So it was a, an ideal location in, in a stable situation for much of the German automotive uh, industry to, support, to source uh, uh, its wiring harnesses from there. So, you know, that was the key exposure. Um, and with the interruption, a lot of it has just been a logistical interruption. Of just everybody originally was fleeing the country, and, and that that really gummed up the the supply chain as well. Um, there have been some movements for Ukraine to restart production of wiring harness, but I mean, it, it, whether it's truly sustainable, it's got to be high risk there. So I think um, that the focus is really trying to uh, target resourcing activity, and and obviously, as as, as most uh, listeners will know, resourcing activity can be time consuming. I'm sure they're fast track, tracking these sorts of things. But, you, you know, the the validation, the tooling required for additional capacity elsewhere all takes time. So uh, it, it won't be an immediate fix. Uh, so the situation in
0: Ukraine will at least go on for a, a few weeks or, or, or not months. Justin, the last I looked, I mean, there was, uh, you know, a couple of handfuls of assembly plants in Europe that have been uh, affected by this uh, loss of wiring harnesses as you say it you just don't snap your fingers and start making it somewhere else what are these car companies doing and how fast do you think they can get these wiring harnesses back into production
1: well the uh, once the inventory's gone and obviously like we've seen in many of the supply shortages once that's gone uh, they don't really have much uh, opportunity uh, or option rather than to to to, sh- to shut the facilities or at least slow the build rate so we've seen that certainly in the in the last few weeks and months Uh, And in Germany alone, we've seen numbers. uh, I think the last hit disruption against a benchmark was around 170 odd thousand units lost. Uh, So there was quite a chunk of uh, downtime uh, that was associated
0: with this lost uh, component. Joe, how do you think uh, these automakers are going to be able to find new sources for wiring harnesses and where?
2: yeah i mean you know Justin's point fine talking about this very specific product it's going to be difficult because of how ukraine was selected for their low cost high labor intensity of building the products look i think there's a bigger story here i think that it's another example of a heavy reliance on just-in-time manufacturing on picking one jurisdiction or one specific tiered supplier to manage all of something really critical uh, and then when when pandemic hits or crisis hits, how they're left basically holding a real problem in their hand. So I think we're going to see the result of this is just another uh, action of where we have to reevaluate the whole supply chain. You know, if hindsight being 2020, you know, 2020, maybe there should have been more uh, storage and, and, and uh, wiring harness having a six month backlog in, in, a, in a warehouse somewhere. doesn't make any sense at the time because they're heavy, they're, they're cumbersome, they need space. But right now, boy, that sure makes a lot of sense. Uh, we had the same thing with chips, COVID with absenteeism and, and, and sickness. It's just another example how the entire evaluation of the supply chain at every manufacturer truly needs an overhaul. But do you think that the industry really can uh, abandon
0: just-in-time production? I mean, six months of wiring harnesses, no. yowza! You need massive warehouses to store all that. And that's just the, warehouse, or, or the wiring harnesses. If you're going to abandon JIT, uh, you're going to have to have all kinds of inventory everywhere and as you know, the reason the industry abandoned that approach of having lots of inventory is, number one, it definitely impacts quality in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And then you got the carrying cost of all that inventory. So do you think they're really going to abandon that?
2: I think it needs some sort of hybrid approach. I think the idea of having secondary and tertiary things in place that when this happens, you could reappropriate to other locations in the world or a secondary or, or third supplier that's going to pick up the lag. But having this idea of having massive cost reduction on part volume because you're picking one source or one supplier is fantastic at the cost equation when everything is humming smoothly. When it's not humming smoothly, we saw with chips, heavy reliance on Taiwan and other regions where they're basically everyone's got their hand out. And now we're seeing them reevaluate. Okay, should we should we get more back into looking at our supply and vertically integrating? Should we have a more Delphi Vistion approach? I'm not saying that's the answer in the future. I'm just saying that there's a I think there's a a, evaluation of good times and bad times and finding some sort of hybrid in the middle saying, how do we weather all the storms good or bad?
0: Do you see that happening, Justin, of automakers changing the way that they source and procure components?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you said before, it, it's quite a slow-moving uh, beast. Um, but I think, you know, to avoid um, these these kind of events, you do need to improve your risk management. And you just have to have a better transparency, a better view of what's happening in the supply chain so you can identify where your risks lie and therefore if you do have that improved knowledge you you can uh, Im- beef up inventories where things are looking risky so you don't constantly have to hold uh, massive inventories of of everything you you can
0: you can select them when whens required yeah joe let's go back to russia for the moment uh it's been uh a major source of very critical raw materials for the auto industry, platinum, palladium, uh, aluminum, nickel. And I just learned this today, even pig iron, you know, which is, uh, part of the, uh, the automaking process here. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going to happen there? Well, what kind of advice would you be giving automakers?
2: Uh, I think right now we're all waiting for the next shoe to drop. What's the next material or next product that some, uh, issue in the in the world is being impacted because we're all worrying we all are coming off of chips still in chip issue right shortage so anytime there's a shortage conversation it goes to the top of the chart oh god what are we going to do about their pig iron shortage so there's certain things that in the conversation yes we need immediately others do have other secondary sources others don't you know there is a little backlog in the supply chain but the problem is if we're having the same conversation six months from now it's going to be crushing again so it's identifying the, the shortages, whether they're minor or not, whether they're one or two or 10 percent and identifying your uh, the secondary and tertiary paths now. So we're not having this. boy. If we only learned from six months ago conversations about, hey, wh- where are we going to get a pig iron in the future? Or where is our neon gas going to come from? Or where's our plating going to come from? So I think they're critical issues. I don't think they're going to be crushing the market as chips have done uh, because of their commonality for every vehicle in the world. There's other sources, but it is a glaring topic because it's just another example of a shortage of key product coming from a disruptive area. Yeah, Justin, would love
0: to get uh, your input on this too. How do you think automakers are going to deal with having to go to other sources, non-Russian sources for all these materials?
1: Well, I, th- I think uh, already you're seeing um, you know price rises and, and, and risk premiums being, feeding through into the market. They come off a little bit, but still nevertheless – the trend and trajectory is up, so um, you know OEMs will have to manage that. And I think whilst um, there are these really kind of um, uh, enduring problems of, of potential shortages and, and calamities, if you like supply chain calamities, I think we've got to remember the, the the issues surrounding affordability and that this will be passed through. And and how that really plays out uh, within the marketplace. Are we getting to the stage where? um uh the, the, the individual buyer um it, it cars are becoming too expensive and therefore maybe the mix of the the, the cars that are being on offer um is going to change and that will have consequences for profitability at the OEMs too. So there there's all those things and of course with, with a rise in, in, in prices and costs, it starts to question certain business models as well within the supply chain. So you might see some fallout because it's not economic for them to, to construct or build, or, or it just pushes them under because they're not receiving the right uh, value. Um, so that the, what this does, I think, is just another layer of disruption and increase in inflation, which adds to another level of supply chain risk, unfortunately.
0: Joe, what, what's your thought in this? I mean, long term, you know, uh, we, we don't know how this war is going to go. We don't know how anything is going to get settled right now. But do you think automakers are rethinking how they source these raw materials out of Russia? Do you think that long term there, even if things get resolved, and let's say even there's a regime change, they're going to look at Russia a little bit askance as maybe not a reliable supplier in the future?
2: Yeah, there's two paths. And, you, and the regime change is an important one. If regime change, depending if it's positive, obviously, is going to really impact how they're going to uh, reevaluate their relationships, having more friendly relationships, hopefully, because we hope the regime change, if it happens, is a positive one for the world. Um, so that's a, obviously a good one, but we don't know how that, the, the odds of that happening are very, very low, unfortunately. Uh, yes, they're going to reevaluate their whole supply chain and how they work with Russia. You know, this is a, this is a now problem, but the long-term optics of working in Russia and the investment risk. Uh, And the instability it creates that that can't be something automotive manufacturers can support, knowing that we all agree automotive works at a very, very slow pace. We can't fix today's problem. All of a sudden it's fixed. We're trying to fix problems for the next five, 10, 20 years in automotive right now. So, yes, they're going to be looking at other regions that have low cost, high value supply. They're going to be looking at other resources. You know, this is where they're going to really evaluate their supply chain. You know, unfortunately, vehicle manufacturers got two avenues to make their money up. Punish the supplier with, uh, with better costs, which they can't because it all has to funnel through, or raise the prices on the consumers. Both are going to happen. Unfortunately, we don't see the manufacturers dropping the price of the vehicles for the sake of getting these vehicles out to market, especially in to today's climate where it's a more build-to-order strategy. So the whole thing is a, is a moving target right this second, but the fluidity of really looking at your looking at your markets by the risk of management, as Justin brought up earlier, is a really key factor, not just a fact of what they can supply, but how they can sp- supply that for 20, 30, 40 years.
0: Joe, Justin raised a good pro- uh, a good uh, issue here. affordability. I mean, even before all of this stuff happened, people were complaining that car prices were getting to be too high. That was triggered by COVID and the chip shortage and all. What's your read of the situation? Are we just going to price a lot of households out of the market?
2: Was that me or just? Yeah, yeah,
0: that 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 was to you,
2: Joe. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I apologize. Yeah, so I look at this way: the whole the whole model's changing, right? We're COVID has taught us to wait, and, and when we wait, we do a build to order strategy. We go to dealer, we go online, we build our car, we pay sticker. Right now, not a lot of money on the hood these days. So we're being trained to, if we want something desperately, you will pay for that. We've seen Tesla raise their prices if you want an EV. We're trying to tell people, move out of ICs, go to EVs, but there's no EVs to buy right this second. Even if you want a Tesla, you've got to wait four months. So these costs are not coming down. Even if you subsidize it, even if you give tax rebates and all that, there's no incentive for a manufacturer to reduce costs. Manufacturers have one key audience, the shareholders to support. That's their key audience. Everything else is Secondary. So as long as they can say our per-profit price, our per-profit per vehicle is up, even if we're making less vehicles, and the shareholders respond in kind, they're doing their job. So there's no prize right this second about raising prices. And we're just going to see 60, 72, 84-month loans come out of the new standard out of this thing. And it's going to be the new norm we play it, unfortunately, using that cliche a lot these days.
0: Justin, you know, we've seen the European market be very, very weak, uh we we saw a big drop in the SAR in the US last month uh what do you see happening here I mean you you raised the issue of affordability it it looks like this could be a a serious problem for the industry long term well I think so
1: I mean at the moment there's two things if you've got the if if you know at the moment we've had production well below uh demand so we've got this sort of gap and And once you get this situation where demand perhaps starts to approach supply uh, and then that means that some of the purchase won't be prepared to pay for the high end products or the richer mix products that they have been, uh, then that calls into question at the lower level of production volume you're not then generating the same levels of profitability. So then it becomes a big problem for profitability for the OEMs moving forward. And then of course, there's another layer on this, which is the shift towards electrification. It, it, we've seen the rise in nickel, lithium and all these uh, very important uh, uh, raw materials for, for battery electric vehicles, particularly batteries. And we've seen um, that well, the, the, the idea is that battery technology and batteries uh, become cheaper in the longer term and at the moment it's pointing that, that it's going the other way so that the shift from um ice-based products to to electrification has got to be under a threat because of the affordability issues of an appeal of battery electric vehicles particularly in europe and and, and elsewhere
0: joe i uh, i get your updates regularly on the impact of the chip shortage on the industry uh it's not encouraging. and And one of the things that I learned is that Ukraine is a major source of neon gas, which I didn't know before, is critical to chip manufacturing. What can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, so far we're not seeing the impact of neon gas to the fact that it's physically uh, uh impacting their manufacturing there is a sort of a an inventory of the gas needed at the chip manufacturers but again it comes to that idea of we're saying this today on april 6th of 2022 if we're saying this on july 26 2022 where is that going to be so the idea of knowing it's a, a critical uh, component the idea of knowing that obviously we're gonna have a hard time getting ukraine This is the proactive approach. We tell people, go out there and find those secondary sources. It is not a light switch moment with neon gas where all of a sudden, if you have two days down, all of a sudden you have the lines of, of chips being turned off. That's not the impact we're seeing right this second. But we are preparing for the unfortunate inevitability if we are having this conversation several months from now.
0: Yeah, you know, when the chip shortage hit about almost two years ago now, Everyone said, Oh, it'll get solved in a year. And when that didn't happen, they said, Oh yeah, you wait 2022, everything'll be back to normal. When's it gonna get back to normal, Joe?
2: Oh, geez, normal. Uh so the only definition we see of normal is a reconfiguration, how things get done. The manufacturers are decontenting the vehicles taking out the non-safety stuff that, that use a chip, heated seats, heated steering wheels, wherever it might be, and then offering that consumer the ability that if they can retrofit it later, come back to the dealer six months later, well, we have the chip and we'll get it there. So they're trying to find creative ways to get the, the vehicles into the hands of the consumers. We are seeing a bottoming out. You know, you've seen our story every week. Uh, we are, you know, looking at 12 million units of impact of, of vehicles since the beginning, 7 million lost vehicles, and there's more coming. We're not out of the woods. But we do see this idea of, we're still calling for a Q4 flattening, let's call it, where that flattening is a combination of, of manufacturing uh, capacity coming back on board and, and, and turning a, a positive note for automotive manufacturers, in addition to the creativity they're doing with vehicles and decontenting them. So those two ideas, although they're slow, are probably going to have to work lockstep with each other. It can't just be all of a sudden we're waiting for chips and getting chips out. There's going to be some creativity in how we're getting the vehicles to the consumers.
0: Justin, we're down to the last minute here. Anything to add to that?
1: No, I think Joe's done a good assessment there. I I certainly, you know, we were expecting things to begin to improve from the second half of this year, like so many. Um, What we've seen is uh, trying to dissect or or unravel or unpick the difference between downtime that's associated with the Ukraine uh, crisis and and that's down to chip shortages is, is, is quite difficult, challenging. Um, But nevertheless, we've certainly seen um, a pretty poor start to 2022's uh, production in Europe, particularly, uh, as as Joe said, in the U.S. as well. Um, But uh, down to chip shortages, not just down to the
0: Ukraine uh, situation and wire harnesses, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What a time in the industry. I want to thank you both for your time and your insights today. Joe McCabe from Auto Forecast Solutions, Justin Cox from LMC Automotive, Thank you. Uh, I learned a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Auto Line this week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode.